Hello, lover. This is Arabella, the Love and Sex Podcast. If you're interested in sacred sex and divine love, I'll twist it up with some spiritual guidance, then this is the podcast for you. Today's episode will begin after our sponsored segment. Hello, lovers. This is Arabella, and today's videocast is very special. I'm so happy to introduce you to my friend and colleague, Reverend Champion Fleming. <laughs> um, do we call you Champion or Rev or both? Champion's good. Champion's good. All right. Well, I'm glad that you're here, Champion. Champion is currently the Minister of Organizational Development with the Center for Spiritual Living in White Rock, which is in British Columbia. And also they are an organizational development consultant and a leadership coach working with national nonprofits and labor unions who are committed to anti-racist strategies that lead to cultural and political change, yay. Uh, Champion has worked for decades on LGBTQIA issues, AIDS awareness, poverty, and racism. Welcome, Champion. Yay. I know that my listeners and viewers are absolutely going to um, love you the way I love you. I was trying to figure out when we met, and I believe it was 2017 in Davis, California. Is that kind of time sound right? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. Yeah, I find the older I get, the less I keep track of time. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I was having to like memory bank. Okay, this happened and that happened. I just, I do remember the very first time I met you, you just were this shining light that walked into this little tiny um, church in Davis, California, the spiritual community, let's not call it church because people might be a little, you know, about that, Mm -hmm. Uh, a spiritual community. And um, I have been personally forever blessed. That's how I feel about it, of knowing you. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're still in California and I'm in Texas and we still know each other. um, I'm really grateful for that every day. So, um, I always meditate before choosing a topic. Sometimes I ask the guests for the topic and what came to me was um, love and prejudice in the world. And although we both know that we're spiritual beings, we are having a human experience. And for me, I personally feel when we talk about things that are difficult, uncomfortable or whatever, that's when change can take place. So um, thank you for being here today. Um, you know, I know a little bit about your story, but my, my viewers and listeners don't. So could you share about your journey a little bit? Yeah, well, hmm, where to start? Yeah, the highlights. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was born, I didn't open my eyes for a week. <laughs> 
know I do it. Wow. Yeah. And you know, when we're in our mother's womb, we open our eyes, right? Our eyes begin to work inside and our eyes actually open inside. So uh -huh. the fact that I came out and I I had kept my eyes closed, I often think I was um, second guessing my choice <laughs> to come through into this family. And there were, you know, maybe I just didn't want to see the reality that I had been born into. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my parents were really loving people who had their own issues. And um, one of them was that they were really afraid of me being masculine presenting in a female body. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot that happened along the way in my childhood where I was getting a pretty clear message that I was showing up wrong. Um, and in fact, my parents taped a bow to my head. It was before elastic, uh, oh. you know, bow headbands right. that little right. girls often wear now. Right. And so I had a, a bow scotch tape to my head because I was bald and I was perceived as a boy baby. And, uh -huh. um, and the first time I remember really encountering my gender identity was when I was probably about four and I would go out in the backyard. We had this little choke cherry tree in the corner of the yard and I would climb the tree. And I just remember thinking, I'm not a girl, what am I gonna do? And then, you know, I came out as gay, I came out as a lesbian, and then later was more of a dyke, and then identified as being queer. And it was a really long journey to um, coming into my gender identity as being beyond the binary or outside the male-female binary. And mm -hmm. Um, it's just continuing to be a journey and a transition. And, and I think it's interesting because we all grow and change in our lives. We have different eras of our lives, different experiences, different rites of passage. Right. And I just resolve to always be fluid and always be learning and growing. And part of that is how I express uh, in my gender identity. Mm -hmm. um, do you happen to recall how old you were with the cherry tree? I mean, there's a reason I'm asking because I have several friends that are identified as being gay and they have told me that they pretty much knew like in retrospect when they were like five years old mm -hmm. or something. Um, and then I have, it's very personal to me. I actually have um, someone in my family that is very young that has already identifying with not the gender they were, they look like. Mm -hmm. so yeah. I'm curious, how, like, do you remember how old you were? I think of four, four or five. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be common from. Um, I was young enough to use the croquet mallets as crutches. It was part of this. <laughs> you know, we had some game we played and when the wounded, the wounded used the croquet mallets as crutches and I always wanted to um, hobble around on the croquet mallets. Uh -huh. so I was low to the ground. 
the um I've heard the story about the bow on your head before, and I, I've always wondered, like, um, obviously, because it stuck with you, the story, like, how did that affect you, even way back when you were little like that? I mean, it, what kind of wound, I guess, did that create in you? Um, well, and I'm, I, I'm asking for anyone else mm -hmm. that might mm -hmm. be kind of pushing well, someone into certain gender identification. Yeah. Well, I feel like there that my essential wounding is that I'm not enough. That's mm. sort of my essential wounding. And I think if you're raised by people who don't perceive themselves to be not enough, or they perceive themselves to be not enough, they mm. then sort of pass that down. And the mm. way that it got passed to me was through my, my gender expression. Um, I remember I used to watch my dad dress he had these, he worked at Ford Motor Company. He sold vinyl, but he would dress in the morning and he would shave and he would, he had these crisp shirts that he would unfold from the dry cleaner mm -hmm. plastic and put on. And then I would go in my room and search for things that looked like that, that I could then, you know, I wanted very much to be like him and possess mm -hmm what the masculinity that he was expressing, I wanted, I felt it in me and I wanted to express it. And there was a lot of fear around that. You know, I got, I got a lot of messaging from my mom, from my dad um, and from my grandparents, especially oh. my mom, my mom's mom really wanted me to be showing up differently. Mm -hmm. Wow. When did you, um... Like what were high school years like for you? I guess I'm curious. Pretty well a fog. I mean, I think as soon as I could figure out how to get alcohol, I got it. I, I remember smoking weed before school in the eighth grade and going mm -hmm. to, and then we had, we read some science that said you should take the test the way you studied for the test. So I decided that I should get high to study and I should get high to take the exams. And, oh. then I, and then I got put in remedial math because I was stoned. Um, right. And then changing schools and going into high school, I didn't smoke weed in high school before, you know, I was more present, but I figured out how to get alcohol um, and how to drink a lot of it on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, I was socially really distanced from other people unless I was drinking. I felt, and I don't think this is uncommon for a teenage experience to feel disconnected and not part of a group or, yeah. but I was athletic and I, and I, I did quite well. Um, athletically and then on the weekends I would just drink a lot and I I had a few friends but um you know I was just running a story of my not enoughness and allowing it to show up in a lot of different ways right I uh resonate with all of that <laughs> even though very different showing up life experience I resonate with all of that um so then out of high school, like 
how did it, how did, how was the conversation or was there a conversation, uh, especially I'm, I'm, I'm picking up some kind of disconnect with you and your mother, maybe about mm -hmm. your identity and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. How did that go as, as time progressed, she got older? Um, you know, unfortunately in the morning, my mother's alarm clock, her AM radio went off to Rush Limbaugh and um, she was running a pretty, you know, she was really seeped in a, a kind of a hate culture and all the things that that go with that um she was so i i you know i knew not to not to speak of it unless i was ready to not be in the family um mm -hmm. but a lot you know a lot of stuff happened to me and within my family where like my dad died uh, when i was in my early 20s and also I had an experience of being a lifeguard mm -hmm. and actually a little boy drowned off my stand mm -hmm. on an unseasonably warm day in southeastern Michigan. In September, the beach was packed, but it was after Labor Day and mm -hmm. this little boy who couldn't swim put on a, a mask and snorkel and the mask went over his mouth and nose and he was actually suffocated by the mask and I ended up you know being in an emergency situation pulling him out of the water doing CPR um, and he we revived him but he was put on life support and eventually his parents took him off life support and he he passed away and mm -hmm. so I was like 19 and he was seven mm -hmm. and it was a really you know a key experience for me and it, it allowed me to then also double down on my not enoughness that okay. i hadn't that i hadn't saved him mm -hmm. so my early years were just collecting enough evidence to prove that i wasn't enough through all my circumstances and situations um and a lot of then i had a boy i had a uh i came out probably at 19 and one of my first relationships was with what then we didn't really have words for but my but daryl was indigenous and identified as two-spirit um and we had a relationship until he um he took his own life and then quickly after that, my dad passed away. So between 19 and say 22, I lost aunts, aunt, an aunt, all my grandparents, my father, my boyfriend, and had also had this experience. So, um, you know, experiencing that much grief that much loss at an early age has also been really a monumental part of who I am yeah. and how I show up um yeah and I it's so you know I I wouldn't have it any other way you know there's this there's this kind of 
idea that if everyone was to sit in a circle and you put all your life problems, all the situations you encountered in life in the middle of the circle, and then you were asked to pick, you would pick your yours back, right? Right. You wouldn't pick up somebody else's because you you know how it formed you, how it made you. And I've been able to do a lot of healing and and to show up in a way where my not enoughness still exists, but I know when it's running me and Mm -hmm. I have self-care and spiritual practices that help support me and make it, you know, I don't make, I hopefully don't make choices from that not enoughness. Right. But that I, I can be with it and, um, tend to it, tend to myself in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I also understand that I've often like, I'm on social media all the time and I see those, those, what ifs you could go back in time, you know, and do it again, or you could be a certain age. And I, I, I feel the same way that you do. Like I would not be who I am right here and now without all those experiences. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, I recall the time period when I met you, you were just transitioning into, um, using a different name. Mm-hmm. Um, there was stuff in there like, like about driver's license and all that. Can you share a little bit about some of the hurdles of, of choosing? Now, what do you use? Do you use, I remember gender neutral, do you use non-binary? What, what in, in this I, moment do you identify yeah. with? Um, well, I'm identifying more with calling myself transmasculine and Mm-hmm. and beyond the binary so uh, you know I non-binary gender non-conforming are both things that describe what I'm not so non you know and I'm in a I like to be in possibility and be be projecting what I want and be what I am and so I started using gender expansive mm-hmm. transmasculine gender expansive um yeah, it's been a long process for me. I was being introduced, I was giving a talk at a spiritual community in Oakland and the person who was introducing me prior to the talk introduced me as my old, oh, my old name. And I had a shame response in my body. Oh. And it was so similar to when my mom would dress me in my sister's clothing. My sister was older than me and much more feminine. And she, I had figured out how to get dresses that had, that were stretchy and had one stripe and I could put a pair of shorts under them, you know, or they were dark or brown or blue or more, you know, but as dresses. Right. And my sister was much more pink and more lace and frill. And so on occasion, my mom would pull out a perfectly good, very, you know, used thing that my sister had worn and put me in it. Mm-hmm. And I would feel kind of um, really constricted, a lack of freedom. Uh, this doesn't suit me. This doesn't fit this, the way mm-hmm. clothing, 
you know, our clothing as an extension of our identity, I would feel really constricted. And so when I got up to speak and I was introduced by my old name and I had this feeling go through my body, I knew instantly that I couldn't, that was no longer my name, that my body was rejecting it, that I couldn't answer to it. And so, and I had been sitting in a chair. And so the early part of the service was a meditation. And I was saying, you know, use me, speak through me, you know, what should I be saying today? What are the words that should come out of my mouth today for this talk? And and when she introduced me, I got up and I said, and I'm a champion. I'm a champion for divine love. I'm a champion for this community. I'm a champion for this philosophy. And then I was like, and my dad called me champ. My dad called me champ. And then um, when I came down off the pulpit, off the platform, people just started calling me champion. And then I was like, well, that's my name. And then I was scheduled (laughs) to speak the next, that was a Wednesday. And on Sunday, on short notice, I was asked to speak at at a center in San Francisco. But the the guy who asked me to replace him, he thought my name was Linda. And so when I arrived at the center on Sunday morning to speak, they were like, welcome, Linda. And I was like, that's not my name. My name is Champion. And so if they had had my real former name and they welcomed me as that, I think I would have had more resistance in myself. But my name was so clearly not Linda that I could just say, my name is Champion. And then it was just never anything different after that. And that's been seven years, I think. Oh, wow. And so, but after I changed my name, then the other things that I was locked into about who I was around my identity started Mm -hmm. releasing. It just, I just... It felt more free. I felt like I could do and say and be. Um, And so I, but it was a much more internal process. Okay. Right. Don't identify. And I used to tell people way back, like people that I was in love relationships, I would say, but I'm not female. And they would say, but you're not a man. And so it's, It's really the youth and the movement, this gender revolution happening amongst people who are younger than us that allowed me to begin to claim something different than man or woman, male or female. Um, And and so then that started, I, I started, I was in ministerial school and I started trying to get them to call me by my name and to use a different gender identity. And they said, unless it's legal, unless you have a legal document that this is your name, the name on your, your license, your certificate license when you graduate and the name in all our documents will be the name that's on your birth certificate. And so I you know, you have to fill out all this paperwork and you have to go stand before. The, it's the same as if you change your name, if you get married. Right. Um, right. So, but it doesn't feel as good. Like people aren't really happy for you. that You got, <laughs> right. you know, that you're trans, you know? So when mm-hmm. you go to court, 
you stand before the judge and stuff it it, it doesn't it it's not this like yay you it it's more like okay we'll do this for you so so yeah my social security card my driver's license everything has been legally changed mm -hmm. um and uh and that's been that's been a while now that's been yeah yeah but there was this moment when i couldn't continue to identify as female and it happened really publicly i i oh. was at I was at a retreat as champion and it was a ministerial school retreat and the facilitator had us, we were all standing in a circle, there were 80 people. And he said, we're gonna do this game. And when I call something out and you identify with that, you step into the circle and we're gonna recognize you and love you up. And so he said, okay, all the women step into the circle. And, you know, 60 of the 80 people stepped into the circle. Mm -hmm. And we all held our hands up and we said, we see you, we love you, we know who you are. And then they stepped back. And I was just sitting there going, oh, Lord, <laughs> they are oh. going to walk right by me. And I can't be female. I was like, I can't identify as this i can't step out and say that i'm this because it i it doesn't resonate in my and my body is telling me no mm -hmm. and so then he said all the men step in the circle and so then all the men stepped in the circle and we held our hands up and we said we see you we love you we know who you are and my colleague was standing next to me and she said, I see you, I love you. I she whispered to me, I see you, I know you, I love, I love who you are. And I started weeping. And then he went to the next question, which was gonna be like, who likes Emerson and who likes Thoreau? And he said, Okay, everyone who loves Emerson. And I <laughs> and I said, wait, 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 wait. I don't identify as a man or a woman and I'd like to be recognized. Oh, wow. And so I stepped into the center and all 79 people circled me. Many of them had no idea what was going on with me or what I even identified as. And they said, I see you, I love you, I know who you are. And then it was very powerful. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and not not really something I wanted to have to do. <laughs> like, it, it would be great if when we're in public gatherings like that, you, you don't have to make a wedge. You don't have to be courageous. You don't have to force your way into being seen. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a really positive thing for me. Um, and it became important i think to the community and absolutely uh and to be to have my colleagues standing next to me and to say that to me was so like there's nothing like being supported like that that's really yeah I, I have to say thank you for your bravery mm -hmm. um then and always because like i don't share a lot of my story but but your example I, I can tell you has definitely influenced me in being more of who I am in the world and, and checking different boxes than just um, 
what is expected of me. Um, and that had to have felt like just so empowering standing there. I mean, it was transformative for you, mm-hmm. but you transform those people too, to, mm-hmm. to have a different perspective. So gosh, thank you for your bravery. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> in this wow of you and, and how you show up. Thank you. You are so, um, you're walking, talking transformation, like the world that is around you transforms, whether you know it or not. So I have to say that out loud. Um, so is there something that you feel we can do individually mm-hmm. to really begin supporting souls like you, beautiful souls that, that some days have the label of trans masculine, sometimes have the label of this, whatever the label is. Mm-hmm. How can we start on the individual basis and then move into the collective basis of, of supporting and loving and acceptance? What's your thoughts on that? Oh gosh, that's a big question. There's so I know. Many. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it starts with self-awareness. It really all starts with ourselves. You know, for me, a lot of my journey has been from understanding white, my whiteness, my white privilege, white supremacy culture, mm-hmm. and how to unravel that, that dominant, that, that internalized superiority, how to unravel mm-hmm. that within myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that means a lot of listening, a lot of humility, a lot of being willing to let go of what I think is right um, and move into spaces where I don't know what's right and wrong. I mean, we're more in a gray space, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think religion and the church, you know, has been used against people for for centuries, really, since the beginning. Mm and these these ideas of morality that that exist in more conservative settings are more based in fear than true morality Um, and to be moral actually if you on if you look at the etymology of the words it actually means to be whole and to be saved means to be whole Mm -hmm. and so if we can integrate and be whole in who we are. And, you know, one of the hardest conversations I had was around my gender identity was with one of my very best friends in the whole world who Mm -hmm. loves me, who has always supported me unconditionally. And I was sort of not revealing how much of a transition I was going through. Like I had top surgery Mm -hmm. after after a long period of fantasizing that I had breast cancer and that I could get my breasts removed through a duck, oh, right? Mm-hmm. I realized yeah. I can't sit around fantasizing cancer because 
the way this stuff works, then it's going to show up for me. And what if I sit around fantasizing $10,000 in my bank account and getting top surgery on my terms? So that was when a light bulb really went off for me. I, I was, it was early, more early, early morning and I was lying in bed and I was thinking, Hmm, cancer, that would be good. And then I was like, what am I thinking? I can't think this. And then I immediately got on my phone and started researching how to get top surgery. And, you know, and then I put that in motion and it took a long time. It took I changed careers so that I would have healthcare, really good healthcare. I changed employers because I, I kept upgrading my healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided I was going to get top surgery. And I also decided I was going to take a low dose of testosterone. Mm-hmm. That some masculinization, that what I thought I saw in the mirror wasn't really what was happening in my body. And that I could... I could do a little bit of hormone therapy and that would, then I would present more as in my, in my mind's eye, I present. Mm -hmm. So I had come to the decision of both top surgery and I had started the testosterone and I started identifying publicly as they, and my friend was just not really understanding she had known me for so long as a happy queer lesbian dyke person for you you know 25 years and she was like what is up with this and she was very challenging to me and she was asking questions and re-asking questions and she said I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here and I said what if I know what's best for me And what if this is all okay? I don't need a devil's advocate. This has been a gradual long process for me. And what I really need is support. And so when we don't understand something, we often question the person who's presenting. We have discomfort. we We don't have enough knowledge. We have a lack of understanding or a misunderstanding. And we think we know because we've been successful or we've been how, however we've been, we think that the way we do it is the right way. Yeah. But just being open, just being available, just staying curious. And when people drop into judgment, exploring that. Why am I judging this? What are these ideas? Who put these ideas here? How long have they been here? Are they really my ideas? Are they, are they product of my socialization and a product of dominant culture, which is very oppressive, which is really wants us in boxes with it that, you know, capitalist patriarchy operates well with people in boxes. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Perfect answer to to a complex, (laughs) a very complex question there. Um, I had, and and this one, like I said at the top, I, I, you know, I don't want to give details, but I do have someone in my family, and and that was kind of the I need to ask this, like, 
And I actually have many followers that identify with being they, them, and, and are, are, are in their early 20s, mid 20s. So have a lot of life journey and transition that to still take place. And um, from speaking with them, many of them are kind of at that place of, I would think of a champagne bottle. You know, the cork will sometimes that pressure and just go, yeah. and they're right there. They want to go out into the world. So do you have some advice for them? Like at that place to help them kind of get to that next level and, and opening the door of freedom for themselves? Just be patient with yourself and learn to love yourself. You know, this requires a lot of self-love, a lot of self-nurturing, a lot of self-care and really not expecting. I mean, when we expect the, ex the process that we're going through around gender is transformative. And in 10 years, 20 years, we're gonna be so much further down the line. But mainstream culture, dominant culture isn't, isn't that ready for us. And so um, figure out how to take good care of yourself and allow yourself a fluidity. Don't lock yourself in. Like I was they, them in 2021 and now I'm feeling super female or maybe I am a dude and I wanna make a transition all the way or, you know, just let yourself continue to transition and continue to grow and change and learn. Um, yeah yeah and i have notes here that that um absolutely it's about the gender we're talking about sexuality i get a lot of resistance in the world because i talk about sacred sex i show up as, as i do tantric goddess work sexual healing like um religious beliefs i i have a lot of viewers that that have been formerly catholic or uh, Southern Baptist and that, and they're also at that breaking point right now. I've noticed uh, 2020 did it for a lot of people where they want to just burst forth. So everything that you said, especially self-care and, and patience and, and all of that, it kind of, um, whatever you're going through, mm -hmm. uh, we have so much transformation happening in the world. Um, I think when we can be kind and compassionate, this is just my opinion. Like when I shifted from, I used to be someone that would really push myself uh, was an athlete when I was young too. Um, so work harder, push, push, push. And then I kind of landed the last few years into the self-compassion for myself and then allowing the transitions to happen about many things. So, um, yeah, that's where that self-love and, and comes in whatever we're going through. And, and I don't know about for you, as I've been more accepting of who I am, it reflects out into being more accepting of what other people are choosing to do in the world and, and showing up. Have right. you noticed that too? Yeah, that. Yeah, the more I love inner myself. To outer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The more I love myself, the more I'm available to other people. 
The more mm-hmm. I can love other people, the more patience and care I have for other people, even when they're acting a fool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and knowing that it all comes from somewhere, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so those of you new to Champion, they do a ton of uh, work to help shift thoughts and beliefs about racism. We had a lot of stuff last year. I, I never did, did talk to you about everything that mm-hmm. happened last year. And, and I know that you, you know, you run, I know you changed the name of it. They were affinity groups and stuff. Would you just tell the viewers mm-hmm. about the work that you're doing and maybe some thoughts about the transition that we're having with racism in the world? And what mm-hmm. are your thoughts on that? Well, it's a pretty chaotic time. It's a really painful time. You know, this just in the last 10 days or so um, with the murder of Adam Toledo in Chicago and Dante Wright in outside of Minneapolis, St. Paul area. You know, we, we just... Uh, we're we're on the brink of really um i think these these are the really painful last gasps of white supremacy culture mm-hmm. and there's movement toward all of us showing up differently being being better to each other i've been really enamored with this um somebody in Detroit did a series called This is Public Safety, and it's a visioning for what what it would be like if we didn't have the police as first responders to the minor issues. Like so much happens in traffic stops and um, or or wellness checks when someone's being checked, Um, Mm -hmm. maybe someone's off their meds. These, these things that don't have to escalate, but they do escalate because we've trained men and women to wear a gun on their holster. And if we train people to shoot a gun, they're gonna use a gun. And, and, and also unlearning our history, relearning our history and going back and understanding the, that um, a policing and sheriffs came out of um, you know, the need, the, the so-called need at the time to um, chase down Africans who were enslaved, who'd sought to free themselves. So there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of history that has been not dealt with, pushed under the rug, not metabolized emotionally, that I think we need to go back as white people, I'll just speak from my own identity as a white person, it's important for me to be the place where the healing starts and that all the generational stuff that was happening before me and my generation, that I can heal that and heal that in order to show up differently, like heal and clear the trauma of the foundation of this country and the way systemic stuff actually arrives in the individual and how we the system is inside of us right and we and we can unravel that and unlearn that and show up differently so 
you know, I think for me over the years, the Rodney King stuff that happened in LA that was so devastating and then the acquittal of the officers and then seeing that year after year, year after year, and then living in Oakland when Oscar Grant was killed um, by Johannes Messerly. Um, I had kind of started my spiritual work and my spiritual awakening and practices and started hosting forums and classes for white people so that we could be, you know, we can begin to understand and unlearn our our whiteness our white conditioning the toxicity of our white identities and move into a sense of wholeness in our racial identity and really be able to be activist and whatever way we want to engage but it truly engage and have authentic relationships with um, black indigenous and people of color um, and so I was doing that work and then started doing it on a national level within my spiritual philosophy, which is the Centers for Spiritual Living. Mm -hmm. And through that process, I met a woman named Ruth Littlejohn. She's also a minister. Mm -hmm. And Ruth and I are different generations. Um, I was raised in the South. I mean, the North, she was raised in the South. Um, she's black I'm white um she's cis and heterosexual I'm trans and queer and so we come together across all of these differences and we created a curriculum which is now called racial healing circles and it's an eight-week program where first we're together by race so I'm with the white folks, she's with the people of color, and we meet in our, in our groups for six weeks. And we go through this very um, thoughtful, provocative healing work. And then after six weeks, we come together and we do cross-race dialogue. We talk about our experiences and we connect in a really engaged way with each other in an intimate way where we we show our vulnerability we we admit to our our racist tendencies and the way that we want to heal them we commit to being anti-racist in the world um and it's small groups so it's we're not about numbers we're about depth so um and we've been doing the circles for about two years. Sometimes we'll be in a community and it'll be six people who are board people and leaders in the community and maybe a minister. Um, and sometimes it's just six different people from the world who come in because they want to do the work. Yeah. Um, that's been really powerful. And one of the most powerful pieces is the amount of processing and the amount of work that R Ruth and I do with each other in order to be available, in order mm -hmm. to, you know, if something goes down, she will ask me directly, <laughs> you know, is this your whiteness showing up? Yeah. You know? And, and um, she's been, um, coming to understand what non-binary or what gender expansive means, what, what my identity is, 
she's been doing a lot of work around learning and growing and accepting that and learning about that. Mm -hmm. So that's really powerful work. And, 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 but I'm also an organizational development consultant and I work with unions. I'm working in the city of Portland. I'm working in, um, I work a lot in Portland. I worked in um, Hartford, Connecticut, Chicago, Miami, LA, and I do work around at the organizational level. Mm -hmm. um, how, you know, the, the, the systems that we exist in that privilege white people and how to tell the truth about it, analyze it, get a look at it, figure out how to show up differently as individuals and then figure out how to rattle the structures, break them apart and construct them differently so that they're not as biased. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's super powerful, rewarding, very rewarding. Um, and it takes a lot of self-care. Yeah. 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 Um, I was not expecting to ask this question, but it just kind of bubbled up. I used to go to these healing retreats in Oakland mm. that were for people that, that do ministers, those of us that, you know, um, do a lot of stuff in the world it can be extremely draining <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah uh, extremely extremely great um what what does kind of your self-care look like to take mm -hmm. care of yourself i mean we talk about self-care all the all the time um but from kind of the spiritual perspective and, and self-care in the real world like what does that look like for people well for me it's regular meditation um, I try to meditate daily, but sometimes I don't. <laughs> so it means being forgiving of myself um, mm -hmm. if I don't meditate every day. I have a prayer practice. Generally, I write prayers. Um, I, I am dedicated to hydrating. I don't always hydrate well, but um, and then play the thing for me around self-care is play and mm -hmm. building play that play, you know, play goes on my calendar, playing goes on my calendar. Um, and recently I've been able to go up to the Sonoma coast, Jenner Bodega Bay area of a friend up there. Yeah. And I've just been putting everything down on Friday and not picking it back up until Monday, taking entire weekends, Yay. With, you know, without working, without being on the computer. Mm -hmm. And I try to move, you know, I try to, I, it, COVID's been an interesting time. Um, mm -hmm. Everything that I used to do, like walk for 45 minutes or meditate for 20 minutes, it feels like it's taking more. Like I need a 40 minute meditation and two walks a day or, mm -hmm. and I'm lucky enough to have a backyard and a small garden and I go out between meetings and I weed and I plot what's getting in the ground next. And yeah. Good. Yeah. I, I agree about the fun. 
I was saying that um, on my spiritual journey, I, I did all the meditation and this and that and the clearing and the chakra balancing, but it wasn't until I added play mm. into the mix that I really uh, started having a amazing quality of life. And it was the balance that I needed. And I don't see a lot of people talking about that. Like the energy uh, of play and joy is so high and, and powerful and blissful. Uh -huh. um, so I know that people are going to be interested in your, your classes, your groups, what you're doing next. So I will, hopefully you're going to send me all of your links where people can get a hold of you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what sure. do you have going on right now and in the near future that people might be interested in learning? About? <laughs> Um, well, we're just in the middle of a cohort for the racial healing circles, but we'll probably have another one starting in the fall. Okay. Um, I'm speaking and teaching at CSL White Rock. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm in the middle of a class. I just started a new class. So yeah. I'm sort of in the middle of things. Um, I think the next time I'm teach I'm speaking at CSL White Rock is on June 27th. Oh, okay. And I can highly recommend that for anybody, wherever you're at, zoom in. Like the CSL White Rock services are amazing and, and you don't want to miss Champions Talks. They are transformational. There's that word again. Mm -hmm. Um and, and if you ever have an opportunity to do any of the classes that they're offering, again, I'm taking the class right now. <laughs> I'm always, this is my third class with, with Reverend Champion, and I'm just blown away by the seeds. I I'd had it happen again. I had class Monday, I went to Albuquerque Tuesday, and all these synchronicities from class wow. and all these shifts and changes, like Oh, yeah. beautiful. That's it's beautiful. like you're walking, talking transformation for, for the world. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. So good to yeah. Hear. Um, do you have any closing thoughts, comments, whatever, before we wrap this up? You want to send out to the stratosphere? Just love each other. Mm. Even when you think you can't, just love each other. Yeah. It really is that simple. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you for being here. Um, and those of you listening and viewing this, if you like the content, make sure you give it a thumbs up, subscribe, click the little notification button and share the content with others on their journey, whatever they're going through and make sure that you leave a comment and you can check out all of Reverend Champion's uh, offerings, classes, groups, and maybe get on, a, do you have a mailing list? <laughs> no okay we'll get, we'll get him in contact with you my website is under construction so oh okay I'm well, in the they middle can of always, doing it right now yeah yeah I can always text you so you guys can leave a comment and I'll get you in contact with my <laughs> champion uh, but thank you for being here and this is Arabella until next time Thanks for listening, lovers. This has been a Black White Production, copyright 2021. All information is for entertainment purposes only. Please see the links below 
to get in touch with. This is Arabella. Until next time.